Welcome to Verbal Art, a podcast where we talk about artsy stuff in different locations. And we are running. Hi, and welcome back to this podcast. Now, I think we have cemented the title Verbal Art with me, Senira. And today we're talking to, oh, I forgot to ask. I always forget to ask. Do you want to be with your own name or an artist name? You use your own name. name. This is what I use. So yeah. this is Harina Reina. Yes. And I don't pronounce the R's very well in Finnish. Very well, yes. <laughs> yeah. um, and we're going to be talking about this printmaking exhibition that Harina has in Helsinki Art Museum. Yeah, in oh. Ham, Ham Museum, Helsinki Art Museum, yeah. This is a big museum to have a solo exhibition in. Yeah, it is, but it's it. This is like the gallery of of the museum, and in in the gallery, it, it, but even the gallery is quite a big space. This is uh, 155 square meters. Your exhibition is 155 square meters. Yes. Wow. Yeah, and this is my first solo show, so I need to say I'm very lucky. And also, it's like one of the biggest, most famous and hyped museums in Helsinki or in Finland. So it's also like, it's one of the major ones. Yeah, it's one of the big ones. There's mm-hmm. like, of course, the, the National Gallery Museums, uh, Giasma and Ateneum and then Amos Rex. There's a handful. Uh, yes, and this only is, handful. This yeah. is part of the handful. So yeah. well done. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> but but in this gallery, they, they really like... The program is based on like new artists or emerging artists, so basically like pretty young people. So yeah, so I was very lucky and happy to to get the slot because there's an open call like annually to the to the gallery. Like otherwise, the other exhibitions in the museum are curated by like even invited curators or the curators of the museum. But to the gallery, they have an open call. And. Um... So to help the listeners place themselves here, yeah. can you describe the space to them? Absolutely. The gallery is divided into two spaces. Uh, there's the first one, which is more like um, uh, is it is rectangular a word? Yeah. Yeah, there's a word. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a long square. Yeah, and then there's uh, uh, another rectangular, which is even longer, you know, yeah. we're <laughs> so it's a bit the, thinner, how to say. And we're in the back room. Yes. And here um, we will go to the front room after, it's just that some people are having like an, a breakfast event. Yeah, we are actually uh, outside of opening hours now, this is the very last hour that this exhibition exists before Harina takes it down. Yeah. A super last minute recording. It's my first time in the whole museum, even though I've lived here for several years. I thought there are many of the large ones I've never gone to. Yeah. I always just go to friends' exhibitions in the small galleries. I never, I never went to Amos Rex either. Even um, so, it's funny. The first time I'm in Helsinki Art Museum is outside of opening hours. Every, we came in from the back door and everything is locked. But. Um, we are in the back room because this was the most quiet when there was someone having some educational event outside. Um, and then here is quite nice and low lighting. Yeah, I also wanted to, uh, because there's no natural light in in the gallery and the, the hang, hanging walls or the walls where you can exhibit your art, they are actually only only three meters. So they are not like 
extremely uh, high. I mean, the ceiling is fairly tall, but it has this like weird office industrial thing going on with ventilation things and like a little bit. It's a little yeah, like this pipe. kind of like basic pipes and 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 technology which is involved in in buildings basically. Uh, but yeah, but it's like in two rooms, and I also wanted to when I was doing the when I was planning the um, the layout of the exhibition, I made for for the first time a real scale model. Mm. Like um, so, I was I I tried to use quite a lot of time thinking uh, how to exhibit the works and what kind of systems in hanging to have, how to how to um, frame or not to frame the works and I also wanted to have like a di- di- different atmosphere on the, the two rooms. Mm-hmm. On the first room it's more kind of conventional hanging, I have frames uh, but without glass actually. And then I have um, prints which are mounted on aluminium and then I have uh, a one longer work which is um, displayed on on a, on a quite low but very long like three uh, five meter long pedestal and then on the other room there's like a lot dimmer actually very dim lighting and it's surrounded uh, by by black prints which are hanged from from the top of the uh, wall until the, uh, the ground. Yeah, floor. Yeah, and and the prints surround the whole room, so it's quite immersive. And then there's one print on uh, a low pedestal on on the ground, and then one uh, print, like individual prints on on the wall. This material actually, like, I was very happy. Like, I. I invented this like very quickly. It's this foam, this foam you use in sleeping mattresses when you go camping. Wow! Same material, yeah. But but it's like I really like the 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 medium gray color it has, so it fits perfectly. And did you print directly on it, or no, it, no, 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 no? This just... is this is um, photopolymer print, so it's an intaglio method. So you print with with intaglio press. Uh, I have had um, uh, a photograph which I uh, first printed with inkjet print printer to a transparent mylar, and then this mylar I exposed to um, to a photosensitive plate, which I then printed to intaglio paper, and then that paper is mounted on aluminium. Ah, so it's the podium you created from yes. the foam material. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just yeah. a funny tip. So, like, mm, now we are in this, with this defragmented situation of, like, uh, maybe people can visualize some kind of space. And then we started talking very specifically about the technique, about this one mm-hmm. smaller piece on the floor. But basically, Harina has, like, um, plastered the walls, like, in this homemade wallpaper almost <laughs> it's uh, yeah how many like it's these rolls of what kind of paper is it this is uh, Japanese course of paper um, 
And these are woodcuts, and uh, these are made with the East Asian style of woodcut, which is water-based. So it, it's paper that is very thin and soft, yeah. feeling like it, it has this rice paper quality, if people don't know what this kind of Japanese paper is. Yeah. So I think saying that it feels like rice paper maybe is a little bit close, even though it's mm -hmm. not the same. Maybe, but it's a very thin, thin but a very strong paper, okay. because um, the the kind of main difference between Japanese, Japanese and Western paper is that, well, the fibers are traditionally very different. Mm. In West we use uh, wood pulp to make paper, but the main ingredient in Japanese paper is koso, which is uh, a type of mulberry, and it's made from the inner bark of the paper of the of the wood it's it's um um like a small kind of bush and you don't harvest it like the whole plant you just take a branch so then the bush keeps on growing and you, the next year you can go to the same bush and take branches so you don't because in western paper you you cut the whole tree and you make wood pulp so it, this is like quite nice way to to harvest as well. Sounds more sustainable but also more expensive. Well, of course, this paper is maybe 15 euros a meter. Yeah, oh, so wow. <laughs> and how many meters do you have in here? Or how many square meters do you know? Um, well, I think it's 24 meters uh, long and then a bit more than 3 meters uh, high. So, like, basically, Harina has taken like multiple of these rolls and printed on them the whole roll and then like uh, fastened it from the top like at, at the top of the hanging wall and then just let it like fall down and then the rolls are like rolling up in the bottom on the floor and then she has covered three out of four walls in this uh, wallpaper kind of and it's this very monotonous uh, generic uh, print this mm. the same print on all of them, this black and white. What is the motive? Uh, it, it's the pictogram of, of cattle. Okay, what, what does that mean? Well, this whole exhibition examines the animal-based matter in this um, water-based woodcut technique. And this is the oldest printing technique in the world, dating back almost... Um, 2000 years and in East Asia this technique was used like around 1500 years as the main printing technique and this was not invented of course for art but for usage graphics like to print religious texts like all kinds of texts of everyday around an administration of, of, of people and also images and and uh, and only later, like a couple of hundreds of years ago, like this this was like cultivated in a very high stage in Japan to make prints, mm. and um, and and nowadays people in the West and also in 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 the East they have started to use this technique uh, in art because it's it's non toxic, it's very organic. Um, and it's referred as 
ecological printmaking technique because printmaking techniques often they they include solvents and and so on but the, this technique uh, includes like a massive amount of different kinds of animal based matters uh, for example this black ink that I'm using in all of the prints it's mostly animal glue made from cattle, mostly cattle hide, but also different other uh, like deer bones have been used, even like like um, or, or fish bones, and often like different animal glues are mixed. But nowadays, like cattle hide, it's the most used uh, material, and it's mostly animal glue, and and then also some shoots made out of uh, like burning either um, pine wood or vegetable oils. And then, so you have a flat piece of wood mm. and then you cut your motif with like a little uh, carving tool. Yeah. And then you put this organic or like a very like organic matter uh, ink on it. And yeah. then you press it onto this thin paper. Yeah, yeah. I brush. Uh, I well, first of all, when I wet the papers, I always use this uh, traditional um, wide brush made from goat hair because mm. it's very soft and it holds the, the the water. And this is the type of water brush which is usually always used in in the in the East Asia. And then uh, I brush the ink onto the plate either with a brush made from uh, horse hair or deer hair. And then, and then I, I, I brush the ink on the plate. And then um, I don't use printing press to print them, but this kind of hand tool called baren, which is like a quite small circular uh, printing tool which is flat, so you press with kind of circular movements the, the, the paper onto the... So a little bit like paper. a wooden mortar where, that you would then use like on a flat surface instead of in a bowl. A mortar is the thing you brand the spices with in a bowl, so like something similar but larger. Exactly, and yeah. flat. Yeah, and flat. Yeah. 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 Um, so was it very important for you that all of these tools and the whole technique was very uh, traditional in this way that mm. you everything's by hand and all these very natural yes. materials yes because i wanted to like through my um like embodied experience and bodily experience to gain some knowledge of the technique mm. and uh to kind of also immerse myself together with the materials and get these entanglements uh, like with my body to the materials and and to kind of with this tactile and bodily experience like I, I really I try to re reach what what's the essence of the materials and because I'm very interested in the agency of 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 matter and well, yeah, the exhibition is called uh, the, 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 other the other as, as matter the other as matter yeah yeah and I'm kind of interested that's okay there's for example um, this brush 
made out of the tail of a horse. Mm-hmm. And when there's uh, a living horse, like the tail has a very specific meaning uh, for the agency of the horse. And and then if you... Um, well, basically all this animal-based matter, it's waste from other usage usages, uh, which I don't think it's... Um, um, it's violence, in my opinion, still, and it supports like um, the certain industries. Uh, so it's not an explanation to use animal-based matter. I don't think so. But uh, I'm interested in, in in that that when you have the material, for example, or the tool, like for example, the brush or the hide glue. That's because there's a certain agency on the tool or the material, and how is it connection connected to the agency of the animal or the specific part of the animal? Mm, yeah. And so when you take a material from one function or one purpose and transfer it to something else and give it a new like purpose or or grounds yeah. for existence, a new function. Mm then what happens to this material. Mm. Yeah, that is an interesting experiment. Mm. Which, I mean, of course, is not um, original since these are ancient old techniques and mm. materials used. Um, you have also studied in Japan, right? I studied like uh, twice in Japan. First, I was an exchange student in the University of Tsukuba, which is a university city just above Tokyo. And then I did an internship in Kyoto in uh, in a water-based woodcut studio. So this is, um, maybe you also have learned about these very uh, age-old ways of doing things that I assume more people in Japan really stick to these old techniques. I I have this like... um, judgmental idea that like there some techniques are better preserved in some places of the world and something like yeah. Japanese woodcut is such a classic thing that I would assume if you go to Japan you really can experience how it has been done for hundreds of years yeah and um, well Japan is a, it's, a, it's a country of contradictions yeah and uh, <laughs> but they are very kind of um, keen and um and very strong in uh, preserving um, certain habits and traditions. And um, they have, for example, well, actually, they're, like when it comes to uh, the, the prashis, traditional prashis of Mokuhanga, which is the name in Japanese for this technique, there are not a lot of prash makers. Mm. And, uh, and it's in Japan, they actually have this this title called a living national treasure which they give to people for example um, who make this handmade Japanese paper with the traditional style and also some brush makers have this this title Um, but this this traditional brush makers they they are not many we all order the brushes from the same lady <laughs> in Tokyo. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Miyagawa sensei. <laughs> I'm a huge fan of her. Yeah. 
Oh, but it's also, then it's really this um, cool little geeky club. Okay, so for, it those, is, yeah. <laughs> for all of those who listen, who are not aware of like printmaking as a medium, it is a very geeky uh, niche of the arts. It's um, like all this, like relating to the materials and to the process, it is inherent in the medium, I would mm. say, from what I have experienced. Yeah. And like you mentioned that you need this specific brush to brush the water on this thin paper because I assume it's too thin and delicate to like soak in the basins. Yeah, funny side note, when you think about printmaking an expensive fancy paper, you think of it as being very delicate, an art studio where no liquids can enter because everything has to be clean. But that's not true. You start printmaking by putting your paper in water and letting it soak for a long time because you have to like wake it up or <laughs> yeah, this is, but this is the, the, the western style yeah and not a long time because it okay. might dis- be destroyed like afterwards uh, you soak it in what I, first I time i had an to, hour first time i had to do printmaking they're like then just leave your paper in this water for an hour like it's yeah, just yeah, very yeah kind of intuitive but yeah, so this is very delicate paper, so the water is brushed on. And that is to make the ink soak in more, right? You wet it to... Yeah, actually water plays a very key um, part in this whole technique. There, there needs to be like very certain dampness in everything, like on the paper. And that's to make the paper more um, ready to take the ink on. And... Um, to, to to take it inside the fibers, mm. um, but 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 this is a different paper because this is not a paper for um, for the woodcuts. On the outer room, there are these um, a bit thicker but still very thin uh, coarse papers um, which are made for this technique because all the the, the papers um, which are prepared for um, for printing papers for water-based woodcuts, they have a layer of animal glue. Mm. So that's why basically like um, uh, each print of Mokuhanga contains animal-based matter because there's always the, the, the layer of glue which is invisible and it's never credited that it's there. It's kind of like invisible force. Mm. So, and that's to prevent the pigments to spread on top of the paper. Ah, so they don't like um, flood out of... Yeah, but here you can see the... because I've been like on the the other room, on these rolls, I've been printing uh, to to dry paper, so you can see it's lighter. And then I've been printing to very wet paper and everything in between. So there is actually quite a lot of variety. Yeah. And here it's 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 a paper which is which has not been glued. And here I've been interested on on the fact that when you take away this invisible layer of glue. Um, what happens? Well, it spreads and it gets dirty and even, you know, muddy. And so, did you remove the glue, or did you just use paper that had not been glued? This has not been glued, and this okay. this paper is not meant for 
for, for um, this technique for, for this technique and so let's go back to the motive so you said yeah. it's like um what did you call it cattle cat yeah like yeah. cattle as in cows that you keep in a farm but um but like it's that is not what i'm looking at i'm looking at like this black print with these little etched crosses almost or like yeah. japanese signs or uh, and then like many of them like this whole grid almost of very um stringent looking carvings and, and what is it is it sign like is it japanese signs or is it like little drawings or uh well this is like well in japanese they 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 have their own syllable sounds mm -hmm. but then they mark the meaning in the sentences with these chinese characters these kanji like they're pictograms mm -hmm. so um so if you look back to the etymology of of the pictograms, uh, this is actually this depicts the face of of the animal, and it used to have two horns. But then, when time went on, they made it sim simpler, and they cut the other horn away. Um, so actually, even if it's always the same, I made some of them a bit different, like. Mm -hmm giving the other horn back and even legs and wow. yeah but uh, the, yeah so it's quite nice because yeah they represent like these the, well, the, the sign the Chinese sign of the face of the cow but also there are like a lot of them and they look like little white crosses as you would see yeah. on a huge cemetery with just like thousands and thousands of crosses next to each other like in these um American war cemeteries where everything is very the same stretching far out so yeah. this has the same vibe to it it's a little bit all of these dead cows that has been like sacrificed in the process of making all this glue yeah yeah well and obviously they have been sacrificed to you know be food for a lot of purposes yeah, yeah. and that's because that's the kind of story of cattle it's very mm. sad and uh And of course, like back in the days, like, I don't know, thousand years ago, the world was a very different place. And um, and of course, when you had animals, you tried to use everything out of, from the body. And of course, nowadays it's still, um, it makes a lot of sense. But then this whole industrialization of animals is pure violence. And this makes no sense. Yeah, but I mean, of course, we are also at this like curve in history where I, I realized that it makes sense to talk about these organic sustainable materials yes. rather because, of course, they used animal hair and glue because they didn't have plastic. And then exactly. we invented yeah. plastic and we use so much plastic that now we're all drowning in plastic. And now there are so few brush makers in the world who can make this brush that like yes. it's um... and this is like I'm, I'm usually often very interested in this kind of phenomenon which are like uh, actually very difficult because uh, also here I don't think that a synthetic alternative is any better because it's not it's just it's yeah. different ethical um, decisions right so I mean, personally, I try to do everything vegan. Um, I know that there are some art processes that you can't do vegan, like uh, 
darkroom photography yeah. also is more or less impossible to do yeah. vegan uh, because the, the photo paper has gelatine yes. in it. Um, and so printmaking also is one of those areas where you can make some decisions, right? You can choose to like um, save the animals or you can choose, choose to try and like save the whole world or I don't know, like there are these yeah. different considerations and each for themselves. I mean, we all have different reasons for what makes sense for us. But it's it's mm. an interesting balance when it's your medium that you work with that you really daily maybe has to have to like decide what brush to pick up yeah. and work with. Yeah, or... yeah. So it's actually I don't know. Like I think like me working with this exhibition and with this whole project, which has been now going on for I don't know like three years actually. It is a lot like just being involved with death, mm. and um, but I think like for me actually the the main kind of I call even like a research topic has not been like is this wrong or not. Like for me the the biggest question here has been that what does it mean actually for the artwork and for the essence of the artwork that this animal-based matter is included in it All and it's there. animals. That yeah, are, yeah, yeah, that there's like an actual object, the artwork, which has uh, traces or actual material of, of someone who uh, was a subject uh, and having intentions in their lives and then uh, pieces of, of the body of that is now included in the artwork and what does it mean for the artwork and for the, the agency of the artwork. Do you somehow consider all these animals to be co-creators or contributors to your work in that way? Um, I mean, indirectly, it, obviously, since they didn't have the like creative yeah. idea, but somehow... Un un unintentionally, yes, of course. I think, like, ooh, like tools and materials are always co-creators, and they have their own... Like, materials always and tools have their own voice. They have their limits and possibilities, and... And me, as an artist who has a body, I'm also kind of one agent in 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 the bucket where the materials and tools are. And I can, of course, push the boundaries of the materials, but they kind of strike back, and they they uh, work often differently than I want. And yeah, so it's kind of like a dance or play where these different agents um, work. These different functions and possibilities, but also, like you say, limitations. They yeah. uh, kind of have to find a way to work together, find the balance between these things. Mm. Mm. And so, like, each role is about what, three meters long? Yeah. And how many roles are there in this room? Well, if if it's... Just how many roles, if you remember? Well, if it's like 24 meters wide and one 
roll is half a meter so 50 40 well Xenia is counting 49 49 49 rolls of three meters and on each roll you have printed the same image five times five times how many hours did it take to write this? No, no, not not too long, like two weeks or something. <laughs> two weeks of yeah. like full time printing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, you said it was what fifteen euros a meter this paper. Well, I ordered two rolls. Like this roll is actually it's one meter wide, and then I cut it into two. Okay. And. Well, this it depends if you if you count the customs and the delivery because that costs. It has been a costly piece to make. Like, I, let's just say, say that. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's it's a large scale print work. Like this is one piece, right? All yes. of these. Yes. Wow, it's very beautiful. Like really, mm. it's it's a wonderful work. Thank you. Um, let's maybe. Uh, Quickly go to the other room yes, because absolutely. I'm afraid the time is running. No, it's, we still have some time. Yeah, good. Yeah, now we didn't talk so much about the last two small pieces that were on the wall here, but like they are both of people and they're black and white and like the light is very dramatic, contrasty. Mm. Do you want to say something about them or? Yeah, there, there, there's like two of these uh, photography-based works. Um, on the other one, which is on on the on the ground, there's an image of a person's like human person's back with some black stain, and uh, that's more like an object because it's on the on the ground, so it's kind of like a piece of flesh. And then the one which is on on displayed on the wall. It's showing uh, hands having something like on their like on their fists. Like a person um, is holding their hands like on top or on the back of their head and they're grabbing something in their yes. fists. What are they grabbing? Hair. Like human hair or? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and that's the only other works in this one big room, except for all these rolls of like the cattle um, pictograms. And then, like, yeah, it's just this white walls, gray concrete floor. And then, weirdly, this uh, fire extinguisher in the middle of the floor. It has yeah. a very. Um, it has like a spot as if it was an artwork somehow. Well, it's, that, it's... that's the story of art galleries having those. <laughs> and also the green exit light. Well, yeah, it's uh, it adds a very like juxtaposed thing over here. Yeah, a friend of mine was very mad that we need to have those. But I think I just, I, I've, I've accepted them like from the beginning. I don't mind. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, so we walk into the other room, which is actually the first room that the audience yes. walks into. And coming from the dark room, the the light is very sharp in here. But this is very wide walls and bright yeah. light. And um, smaller works and larger works, very like 
there's a lot of white wall space in here and then yeah. this long wooden podium that you have built which is kind of like it's like a long wooden pillar that has been knocked over and lying in the middle of the room and on that is more rolls from the same japanese paper yes but but a lot um, thinner they they are like three meters long but only like 15 centimeters wide yeah so these so. long thin like feels like rolls you could hold in your hand but mm -hmm. then you have very meticulously like placed them, some are overlapping each other and like, so they create this kind of like 3D image of layers of see-through paper and print and these like rolled up round pieces in the middle. It looks nice, but you told me when we cut in that every time you come, you can see that people have been touching them and like unrolling them to see what is happening yeah. under the layers. Yeah, which is actually interesting because the, the name of the work is Messages and there is like text in all of them, uh, but you can't read it because it's, it's only like um, you can see through that there's something on the rolls because the paper is so thin. Um, but you can't see really what. No, most of them are just printed completely black in these long lanes or they are completely white. And so I would not have guessed that there was messages in here. Yeah. Um, but which is like actually interesting because this is referring uh, to the form of book because back in the days, like before the codex, the book as we know it nowadays, the books were this kind of rolls, rolls mm. of paper. So it's actually quite interesting that then people really wanted to read them. Yeah, and I mean, considering, okay, first of all, in a big fancy museum anywhere in the world, usually people don't touch things because yeah. it's not allowed. In Finland, usually people don't touch things, even in small galleries or anywhere. Yeah, they are yeah. very respectful of other people's belongings and um, art. I have made art installations here that were supposed to be interactive that no one dared to walk into yeah. because they didn't want to like uh, disturb the art. I, they didn't know they needed a sign to tell them that they had they were allowed to touch. So yeah. in this museum, in this like prime position in the middle of the room under the bright light that people have been touching this super delicate art, it's very interesting. It's very interesting and I was very surprised. Yeah. And But now when I, just a moment ago, I talked with uh, Satu Herala, who is a creator in here. Uh, she said that, uh, that there has been a change like within the past five years because there's been in museums so often this kind of immersive artworks which you are allowed to touch and you're encouraged to touch that there has been a change that, that nowadays like people really often touch Oh, no, I think yeah. that's really interesting but yeah. I mean honestly it might also just be like you said that that this work and this process for you has been a lot about this like haptic or tangible relationship yeah. with the material to really like feel it body to body like mm. and so even though there are these small signs by this piece that you cannot touch maybe people have like intuitively had the same exactly. desire that yeah. this paper yeah. looks so delicate you need to yeah. physically relate to it to understand it the full capacity of it exactly and, and this is also why i've been secretly a bit happy of this yeah that because i i feel that the, the 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 artwork works 
Yeah. Because it's kind of, these are kind of books and people really wanted to read them. And like, if we are talking about um, these works and these materials of ha as having like their own existential agency and their own like functions and and limits and yeah maybe this is just one of the ways that now um this work or this material was surprising you yeah. kind of like jumping out from under your uh, grip and like showing that it's alive in its own way still yeah oh, that's really nice okay yeah, it was very inviting for people yeah <laughs> it's also like child's height <laughs> well that's very true Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very low to the floor. Well, yeah. I mean, I love it. I touch everything. It's horrible. No, really, I'm very bad. I always Ooh. touch. I always have to like feel the art. Usually yeah. not in these big museums because there's often alarms. But um, like in smaller places, yeah, sure. Like I'm way too sensorically interested in yeah, yeah, yeah. in what is happening. Yeah. I once touched an oil painting in a small no. opening. And I didn't realize it was still wet. It was still wet, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I have so many stories of some friends of mine who are painters, and then the delivery, the transportation comes to the exhibition, and they are like, no, still a couple of strokes. Exactly, yeah, and oil paintings yeah. take days or weeks to dry, depending on how thick the layer is, so of course it is. But it is risky. This was a small apartment exhibition, and... So to put a wet oil painting on the wall in a small space where a lot of people will be walking around with oh, drinks and yeah. stuff, it's risky in any case. Yeah. Like anyone could have accidentally leaned on it or... Yeah. yeah. I, I hope no one was really devastated. Yeah. yeah. But this is why also uh, I've been very, very happy to have the show in museum because... Because there's been a big variety of different kinds of people coming. Like mm. most people who don't go to galleries, they've been coming here, like very ordinary people. And so... Which is why I also wanted to record this podcast outside of opening hours. Yeah. Um, because in some of the other ones we have been able to do, like with Vanity, we, we recorded in Project Room the other day mm. when it was open. Yeah. But not that many people come during the daytime to project yeah. room yeah. in the work hours, like office hours. I imagine here in Ham that people actually come throughout the whole day. Yes. Yeah. It's yeah. like a busy center of the city, uh, like a tourist location. Yeah. Um, how is the soundscape now compared to normally? Like we have this weird, we can hear music from somewhere. And then we have this like um, a talk or event on the other side of this door. Yeah, actually, um, uh, when, well, the, the exhibition time is seven weeks, mm -hmm. so it's very long, like compared to the galleries in general, because in galleries it's usually three weeks. Uh, so, because now upstairs and also in one of the rooms downstairs, there's an exhibition which is um, examining dance and movement in fine arts. And this this was opened like a couple of weeks ago, oh, and right. and there's one piece like quite nearby having sound. So this changed the soundscape. Um, yeah, I think it's okay. Yeah. 
So it's actually an ex yeah I was just moving the yes, <laughs> the recorder which is why we had this yeah. funny moment. So it's actually another work making this music. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that has been there the whole time. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the works on the wall here. Like yes. I'm curious about these three smaller images that um, yeah. is on one wall and just to make sure that it records. We are moving around a little, so I'm moving the recorder mm -hmm. also. So there are three small images. What are they? A4 or larger? They are a, around A3. Around A3, but on these large walls, they look quite small. And they are like a series of, of hands holding different brushes. Yes. Are they your hands? Uh, yes. And they are holding the brushes you have used for the works in this exhibition? Yeah, and I, I, I wanted to have brushes which um, are not new, but they have been used a lot by different people. So the one in the middle, which is a gold hair brush, it belongs to the Academy of Fine Arts. Uh, so it's been used a lot in teaching and by lots of students. Uh, so it has a long history. And then the horse hair brush, which is on the left, this is because uh, I inherited some brushes of my sensei in Kyoto. So this is like a very used one, like almost like it's been fixed many times and so it has a long history as well. And well, actually the one on the right, that's a new brush, which I bought, like a deer hair brush. brush. What kind of animal? Deer, yeah. So um, are they photos, like they are printed, but were they photos to start with or? Yes. Yeah. So they're black and white photos, but they have been printed, so they look almost more like charcoal drawings. Um, in different, like one is very, like shadowy. One is very stark black and white. Another one is more like pencil drawing. And then it's basically just Harina's hands holding these brushes made from horse, goat, and deer. Yes. And the deer one is the. Finnish brush, or is it also Japanese? No, that's 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 the Japanese one. It's actually made from the specific type of. Uh, it's a shika deer, which is um, um, a Japanese deer, basically. Yeah. So all of these brushes originate in Japan. Um, the goat hair brush might be from China. I don't. I don't know the history of it. Yeah. But it's very interesting how there's also this cultural exchange going on, not just from you going to Japan and learning techniques and bringing home this knowledge to yeah. Finland and now teaching it to other people because Karina is educated in um, the Art Academy where I studied like the Art Fine Arts Academy of Finland in Helsinki and now you are a technician yes. uh, so you are sharing your knowledge with new students. Yeah, exactly. But with this cultural exchange, it's good to, good to kind of remember that this has been going on ever since. Uh, for example, this, this because um, the traditional type of, of a brush, it's this kind of stick, as you can see, that there's a long handle. But nowadays, often, they make this kind of um, flat brushes, which look like shoe brushes. But this is like, it's even this type of a brush, it's called burashi, like brush in mm. Japanese. Because like when, um, when they started to have like after opening uh, the country, 
they, they had like these Western influences and the Western tools. So that's why they started to make this kind of plates. And this photopolymer, it's, it's, in, it's invented in, in, in the West, like uh, in both, they've been developing this technique both in America and in Europe. But these plates are actually nowadays made in Japan. So like yes. there is this crisscross exchange of yeah. uh, knowledge and techniques and ideas, but also that you have literally like transported the the materials, like that you order the paper from yeah. Japan and the brushes, and then you made the works here in Finland. Will some of the works be exhibited in Japan later? Yeah, this one, uh, one of the prints ha have been uh, exhibited in Japan in Nara in an exhibition, like a jury exhibition of, of water-based woodcuts um, in, in a cultural hall in, in Nara. It was a big group exhibition. And I also participated in in um, uh, in a big conference, uh, printmaking like conference in Japan. And I also wrote um, like paper and I had a presentation and conversation in there and I had a lot of nice chats with with different like academics and craftspeople and artists who work in like with this technique. Uh, and there's actually in the exhibition also a text which which is a shortened version of 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 the presentation I made on that conference that was last year in December. So did you somehow share like Finnish culture or techniques or knowledge in Japan? No, no. The the, the presentation was like um, thoughts around the use of animal-based matter uh, in art and in this technique. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so the last works that are in this space, just because you pointed one of them before and said it had been exhibited there, it's these very large frames, um, or like the largest in the space, uh, with these big off-white <laughs> papers. And this is a different type of paper, right? Yeah, this is the, like, uh, uh, the type of paper which has been made for water-based woodcut. Uh, but the fiber is the same. It's it's coarse plants, uh, coarse paper, and this has the layer of animal glue. And then um, the motive is like brush strokes and handprints. Yeah, these yeah. are like I well the names are like these are the big ones are encounter with a horsehair cross, and then there are a series of six small works, which are actually the first one I made, those are made already in 2020, uh, and they are like encounters with deer hair brush. Okay. So they are kind of like, for me, some kind of uh, um, meetings with my own body and the brushes and kind of wondering and this kind of like, what, what is this, what's happening, and some kind of encounter. So are these like six small and three large ones, are they one series or two series? Two series, yeah. Two series. And what is the very last one? So there's this last frame, just um, somewhere in between size, also like a wooden frame like the other ones, and this off-white paper, but no print. There is. There is print. Thank you. Ah, 
yeah, so there is a small, yeah, it was this technician who opened the door because he wants to come and take down the exhibition, but we are not quite done yet, almost. There's this small white print in the bottom. So is it white ink? It's, it's, it's white, and this is the traditional white pigments, Japanese white pigments. Uh, and it's made out of dried uh, shells of Itapo oyster, which is an endangered oyster living widely in the inland sea of Japan. And um, yeah, in Kyoto, they have, um, in the pigment factory, they have a huge mountain of the shells of these oysters. And I was in contact with, with the factory. It's a very small pigment factory. They say that they have the material for the the traditional pigment for for like around 20 or 30 years but because they can't find the oysters anymore um, they say that because it's always been made out of this specific shell that's when, when the mountain of shells is gone the tradition is gone wow that's so. very uh, whimsical uh fantasy story like it it yeah. feels like uh, Miyazaki could make a movie out of this yeah I know <laughs> yeah well so is that why you have used such a tiny amount that you have only like sparsely uh, printed the very little bottom of the page because you don't want to waste it no it's not because of this this is like it's actually called bokashi in Japanese uh, and this is very kind of in in the tradition of this Prints, uh, especially in the Edo period of of Japan, they made these like gradients in in prints. So this is kind of referring to that, and it's more examining the, the empty space because it's not empty. There is the animal blue, and almost um, <laughs> yeah. so, so this is just kind of like. Uh, Examination of of the um, of the pigments and the paper and the glue. Yeah. It's a very simple work. Very simple. Yeah, I mean the whole exhibition is somehow very simple, kept in the black and white and wood colors. And actually, now I find it very peculiar that you decided to make a small podium from this like camping mat plastic material. It is the only plastic in the whole exhibition. Everything else is like wood and paper and these natural materials. Actually, yes. Yeah. And then you made a podium. And I was proud of it. And you were like <laughs> deciding it as the first thing in space. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That is funny. Actually, um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so how many different printmaking techniques have you used in this exhibition? Only two. I have water-based woodcuts, and then I have photopolymetrics. Nothing else. Um, and for the photopolymer, like, do you use a printing press for that? Or yes. Is, yeah. This is like intaglio metal, so I use water-based inks for that. Okay. Very Western style. Okay. Um, yeah. Like, uh, it's morning for my brain still. Uh, oh, but, yeah, <laughs> well, yeah. but I think that was really good. I, maybe the only thing I want to ask before we end now, we're talking about all this um, using animal matter mm -hmm. and what that means, but is it possible to still 
do these techniques vegan if what people would choose that? Yes, this is a big question, and this is like what I was thinking in the um, very beginning before starting anything. My wonder was that is this technique so bound to animal-based matter that without it, it's not existing? Uh, I have some like kind of ideas to to try to glue the papers with different glues made from algae. Yeah, like agar or something. Yeah, like agar, sea, agar, or, or just algae. Yeah. Like, or, sorry, I've spoken over you. Yeah. Just to tell those who don't know, like seaweed and algae are from the ocean that contains a lot of um, vegetable starch. Mm. So you can use them often as vegan materials where mm. you would otherwise use gelatin or, or yeah. something like this. But then the thing we need to always remember that traditions are never stable. Even this tradition, even though you can you look at it that it's very traditionally made, actually also the water-based woodcut tradition has been in move, movement like ever since. It's always altering. For example, the plate materials are completely different than back in the days, because like like like. 3200 ago in Japan they used mountain cherry only that well there are no mountain cherries to use for plate material anymore so people use this linden wood and um, yeah so traditions are always in movement so that's why uh, of course if I make some kind of other uh, glues or other kinds of uh, inks or brushes, the technique will alter, but but it's it, it's okay. Yeah. yeah. So, have you already experimented with um, algae? Not yet. I will go to Paris for next summer for the Cité residency for three months, and the aim in there is to make some tests. Wow. Yeah. And read some books. Yeah. <laughs> well, it sounds very good. Thank you so much. Is there yeah. anything else you want to say about the the exhibition or yourself or No, I think we have we have been talking quite much. Yeah, already, it has been so. very good. Um yeah. very interesting in-depth uh look into some things that a lot of people don't know about. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Uh and at least that I didn't know this much about. So do you have a website? I have a website. It's just my name, harinaraina.com. Yeah, um, and people can find a link to it, I think, wherever I manage to write the notes for this, because no one can spell Harina Raina it's out, a bit difficult, outside yeah. of Finland. <laughs> yes. Um, but like all the websites to all the people will be listed where the links are. Okay. Oh, thank you, Xenia. Yeah, well, I'm really happy we made yes. it uh, like in the 11th hour. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. And now, after this, I will start to uh, deinstall the exhibition, take down the works. Actually, this was very nice, like the last hour before yeah. taking it down. Do you want to help with taking it down? No, I have a friend coming and there's a technician helping okay. as well. So. Well, thank you so much and thank you for listening. Um, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed it.